Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia for this Tuesday, May 23rd in Hong Kong, Monday, May 22nd in New York. And coming up today... Secretary Yellen says it's now highly likely the U.S. Treasury will run out of cash by early June. More Fed officials weigh in on whether to hike or to pause interest rates. And SoftBank is said to be exploring plans to become a lender in the world of private credit. Biden-McCarthy meet on potential debt ceiling plan. China questions the sincerity of U.S. overtures for talks. China battles new COVID wave. Tim Scott's hat in the ring. I'm Ed Baxter with Global News. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Available on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said it's highly likely now that her department will run out of cash in early June. And she repeated the prior warning that the moment could come as soon as June 1st. This is according to a letter Yellen wrote to lawmakers. We heard from Bloomberg's Kaylee Lines. Of course, what the Treasury Secretary is asking for is for it to not get to that point. Again, reiterating her call uh, to Congress to uh, protect the full faith and credit of the United States by acting as soon as Mm. possible. Yellen warned again in the letter that a default would cause severe damage to financial markets and to the U.S. economy. It comes as President Biden and Speaker Kevin McCarthy struggle to hammer out a budget deal. Republicans have vowed not to raise the country's statutory borrowing limit unless Biden agrees to budget cuts. There was no shortage of Fed speak today. A couple of officials saying that more rate hikes are necessary to lower inflation. This comes just a few days after we heard from Fed Chair Jay Powell suggesting he may be willing to pause at the June meeting. Today, the head of the Minneapolis Fed, Neil Kashkari, was saying if the Fed does pause, it should signal tightening isn't over. We also heard today from the head of the San Francisco Fed, Mary Daly, who said tighter credit conditions stemming largely from the problems in regional banks in the month of March may be worth a couple of more rate hikes. Not to be left out, the head of the St. Louis Fed, Jim Bullard, saying that he backs two more increases in 2023. Now, exactly where those would be this year, I don't know, but I've often advocated sooner rather than later. You want to get the downward pressure on inflation while you can. And also, you know, you want to fight inflation while the labor market's really strong. That is Jim Bullard, the head of the St. Louis Fed. Now, we had a couple of more voices. They advocated for a patient approach. Among them, the head of the Atlanta Fed, Rafael Bostic, he was saying that he still backs a pause in rate hikes at the June meeting. His Richmond colleague, Tom Barkin, was saying he prefers to keep his options open. 
And Brian, as you know, that meeting is June 13th and the 14th. J.P. Morgan says it will gain an even bigger benefit from rising interest rates because of its purchase of First Republic Bank. Here's CFO Jeremy Barnum during J.P. Morgan's Investor Day presentation. Turning to the impact of the First Republic transaction, we are expecting a full-year NII contribution of approximately $3 billion. And as a result, we are updating the 2023 NII X Markets outlook to approximately $84 billion. In addition, you'll recall that our medium-term expectation for NII X Markets across a range of potential scenarios was around the mid-70s. At the same time, the bank also issued a pessimistic forecast. The lender said it expects second quarter revenue from investment banking and trading to each slump 15 percent from a year ago. J.P. Morgan said several sources of uncertainty remain, including the Fed's plans and how consumers react to higher borrowing costs. It also said that the debt ceiling impasse is a short term theme weighing on the market. Well, after the bell, Zoom video communications raised its full year sales forecast. We have more from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. It is a positive sign for the software maker's effort to continue growing in a post-pandemic world. The San Jose-based company said revenue for the fiscal year ending in January 2025 will be $4.47 to $4.49 billion. That is up from an earlier outlook of about $4.44 billion. Zoom, which burst into public consciousness during the height of the pandemic, is fighting to reverse a slowdown in growth for its video communication service by expanding its tools for business. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. And as mentioned earlier, we did have Zoom shares uh, actually soaring for a few moments, but then right back to... uh about uh, flat for the after-hours session. Meantime, SoftBank Group is said to be exploring plans to become a lender in the $1.5 trillion world of private credit. More from Bloomberg's Joanne Wong. We hear senior investors at the Japanese firm have spoken to market participants about directly lending to technology firms, and they touted the possibility of deploying as much as $1 billion via SoftBank investment advisors. We're told the discussions are at an early stage. SoftBank is targeting low double-digit yields for the strategy. That's roughly the same as what most direct lending funds expect to earn. In other news, SoftBank said it's selling a stake in Fortress to the Abu Dhabi Sovereign Wealth Fund, Mubadala Investment, and Fortress Management. Management. Mubadala will own 70% of the equity in Fortress, with Fortress management controlling 30%. The deal could potentially value Fortress at more than $2 billion. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Joanne, thank you. And you know, Doug, SoftBank touting private credit there comes on the same day that Allianz said that it's expecting Asia's private credit market to get a huge boost from the global banking route. It's, it's not the, um, the focus of, of, you know, interest this morning, really, but it is something that going forward could be quite interesting uh, uh, in providing private credit to companies that, that need it. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Jamie Dimon's comments, which mm. we didn't focus too much on, but talk talking about 6 or 7% interest rates. I think many in the market are looking that through the prism of, of risk management. Uh, prepare for higher rates rather than this is what we expect. Uh, he's someone 
with massive fiduciary responsibility. He doesn't want to get caught out. He's basically telling the audience, I'm probably more worried about this stuff than you guys are. He certainly said that about QT more than anyone in the room. He's the warrior in chief. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement, Brian. And he went on to say that even though the Fed has been raising that overnight rate, there is still too much liquidity in the system. So you ask yourself, why have markets been faring as well as they have in the current environment where we know the risk is that credit conditions will be much tighter. Maybe he's got a point here and that there's still too much liquidity moving through the veins of financial markets. And I would include not just the equity market, but the treasury market as well. And I suppose uh, it depends on how much credit tightens uh, that we'll see, you know, perhaps things getting tighter rather than uh, being as loose as they are. The S&P 500 went about its own way today, uh, basically flat, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, and it's it's really at the top end of the range it's been in uh, for the past nine months or so. More and more, we're having the uncomfortable conversation with the bears saying your arguments sound very persuasive. But you've been wrong for the past six months. Hmm. What next? I neglected to point out today that there was a a lot of positivity for the NASDAQ Golden Dragon China Index. It was up about 2% today. If you saw the ADRs in the Chinese EV maker NIO, they were up more than 8.5% today. The company recently debuted its ES6 model at about 300 stores in China. Even with the increase, though, today in the NASDAQ Golden Dragon China Index, it's down by 3.7% year to date. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's been a tough period for sure, particularly over the last six weeks or so for for China stocks. Uh, and interesting to note that with that China pressure on Micron, all of our stories are saying, you know, there was a lot of pressure on on semiconductors. But in the end, the socks actually finished finished up uh, about a third of one percent. I think it was about close to four tenths of one percent. So a couple of big winners uh, in there, I suppose. Now it's time for global news. U.S. President Biden meeting with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, as we mentioned, they're trying to get this debt ceiling sorted and some spending reduction, a package done on that. Ed Baxter with Global News in the 960 Newsroom in San Francisco. Ed? Yeah, that's right. That's what McCarthy wants, to weave the two in. You know, Democrats have been reticent to do that, Brian. Uh, While in meetings with his negotiating team, McCarthy did come out to address the media. I firmly believe what we're negotiating right now, a majority of Republicans will We'll see that it is a right place to put us on the right path. Uh, But he says it'll take some time to get it done. He says it needs to be written and then to give lawmakers 48 hours to read it. Better to have a deal sooner. I think we we can get a deal tonight, we can get a deal tomorrow, but you've got to get something done this week to be able to pass it. And with Janet Yellen saying the X date still seems to be the beginning of June, Bloomberg's Laura Davison says there may be some positive signs coming from the silence now. Staff was very quiet leaving these meetings. They didn't comment at all, uh, which usually is a good sign. It means that they're getting close uh, to details. They don't want to divulge. They don't want to show their cards yet uh, because they're still working through some of the sensitive aspects. And Bloomberg's Kaylee Lyons says getting this agreement is just step one. Getting a compromise between the president and the Speaker of the House, but then you have to get to steps two and three, and then really four, get it on the president's desk for him to sign. It is a series of things that need to happen to raise the debt ceiling. So there is a question of timing here, probably why uh, the chair of the House Financial Services Committee, Patrick McHenry, said lawmakers need this done in the next 24 hours. And when you look at it, the Yellen set X date could be a week 
from Thursday. China battling a new COVID wave, XBB variant, fueling a resurgence. It began last month. Health researchers expect 40 million infections a week by the end of the month, peaking at 65 million a month later. The paper presented at Biotech Conference in Guangzhou. And uh, the aftermath of the G7, Chinese state-backed Global Times has labeled the G7 summit a blatant anti-Beijing workshop. This is UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak took direct aim today. China poses the biggest challenge of our age to global security and prosperity. They are increasingly authoritarian at home and assertive abroad. As we reported yesterday, G7 communique stressed de-risking and not decoupling. China's question the sincerity, meanwhile, of the Biden administration's calls for more talks. U.S. is pushing to resume high-level diplomatic talks at the same time it is heaping on tech sanctions. And Republican Senator Tim Scott has formally entered the presidential race, arguing he can unify the Republican Party with a positive message and attacking the Biden administration. We're attacking our American values, our schools, our economy, and our security. But not on my watch. Not on my watch. He says under Biden, the U.S. has become a nation of retreat. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Brian Curtis in Hong Kong alongside Rashad Salamat, and we have Ed Baxter on news and Doug Krisner looking at markets. Our guest is Burns McKinney, Senior Portfolio Manager at NFJ Investment Group. So it seems, Burns, the, the two big themes hanging over the market at the moment, uh, Fed rate hikes, whether or not we're at a pause or there's, there's more coming. We have seen a, a pop in, uh, in yields here over the past um, week to 10 days. And then the debt ceiling talks. Um, what, what's got your attention, you know, first and foremost at the moment? Well, in the near term, the debt ceiling negotiations are definitely the first thing to focus on. Um, you know, with respect to the Fed's rate path, a lot more of the focus is what might happen, you know, by the end of this year versus the debt ceiling negotiations are very, you know, upfront. Um, you know, it's something that we're going to be focused on over the next couple of weeks. And, you know, we continue to believe that the, the debt ceiling will be resolved without missing any payments. Um, but at the same time, we expect negotiations to probably run until the last minute, like they did in 2011. And I think that's one reason why the stock market seems to think that as well, um, because you've seen equity returns have been you know, pretty nonchalant about it. Um, you go back to 2011, stocks fell by like 15% in the month leading up to it, versus it's been flat to up this time. Um, and you know, one reason we're focused on it is because you know, credit, credit default um, swap markets 
are currently giving about a probability of you know, some sort of default at around three and a half percent, and you know that's half of what it was back in 2011. But you know we also stress that that's not nothing, um, and it you know it, it is fairly elevated when you consider you know how catastrophic the consequences of a default would be. I mean it would be an almost surefire deep recession um, if you did have any sort of halt of payments, um, and so you know whereas you know compromise is still the base case, you know. The, a small probability of a catastrophic event is something that's not to be scoffed at, and I think that's one reason why we do expect things to be pretty volatile in the uh, in the next few uh, in the next few days in the next couple of weeks. Which, you know, when that's the case, you know, as far as well, where do you look for shelter in that type of market? Um, you know, look for companies that have you know recurring Burns. earnings. Yeah, Burns, come to your strategy in a second. I'm just want to say uh, ask you about the Federal Reserve and. Okay, this is a fiscal problem. How does the uh, monetary how do the monetary heads uh, look at all this? What prism are they looking at that this whole debt ceiling conversation? And uh, what is really on the cards for the next month? It does look like uh, it's a fifty-fifty between perhaps uh, standing pat, pausing, if you will, and uh, going twenty-five. I would probably argue that the base case should be that the Fed does pause. When you consider two major factors, you've got, you know, you still have the regional banking, um, you know, issues for them to focus on, and then when you add in the the uncertainty that's created by a possible default, that makes it pretty unlikely that the Fed does hike rates again in June. That said, you know, what probably should matter more for the markets is what they do between now and the end of the year and whether they actually cut by December or leave rates at the current, you know, 5% range. You mentioned the market was looking at this in a nonchalant manner, uh, p- uh, particularly um, uh, the debt ceiling discussions. Uh, it, how am I supposed to gauge this market? Because obviously, banking has gone through a very tough time, down about a third of a percent or half a percent for the regional banks. And on the other side of the coin, you've got tech that's massively outperforming. And then in the middle, it's kind of like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, how, how do you actually uh, read this market? Yeah, I, I would say that you know, that, you know, you, you look at a lot of the gauges that show investors are somewhat concerned, but at the same time, um, you know, stock prices don't necessarily reflect that. I mean, right now, that if you look at the U.S. markets, the S&P is trading, you know, about 18 times earnings. That's above its long-term range. Um, you know, it's certainly not cheap, especially when you factor in that, um, you know, between now and the end of the year, if investors are expecting the rate, the Fed to cut rates, well, okay, well, how do you have a surprise to that scenario? The only way you surprise would be is if they actually keep rates higher, which would suggest that bond yields would probably have to go up between now and the end of the year, which you know, at least might act as a headwind towards equity prices, and it would most certainly act as a headwind towards longer-duration instruments like some of the growth stocks. Well, absolutely. And how do you then look at what's going on in the rest of the world here as well, Burns? And, you know, you've got to have a look at uh, Japan, quite an extraordinary performance by equity markets there, and the wall of money's been going into the country, too. You know, Japan has definitely been a leader this year. It's uh, it's staged a great comeback. It just seems that this is really just the fruition of you know a lot of what you know Shinzo Abe you know started in in the recent years um, with you know trying to make the country more investor friendly, trying to you know get com- companies to focus less on growth for the sake of growth and more um, you know investor friendly reforms. And we've seen that. You've seen that. You've seen more dividend payments uh, made in Japan in recent years. Uh, dividend yields going up, and so. 
you know, there's a lot to like there. Um, that said, you know, I think investors at least need to think about there are some long-term headwinds in Japan, namely that it's, it's one of the most demographically challenged countries in the world. You know, we talked about SoftBank and its plans for private credit now, and it's something that Doug and I chatted about just a moment ago, um, that th- there seems to be a market here for people to take advantage of this. And I know it's a very narrow area, but is that something that interests you? The same day that SoftBank talks about turning to private credit, uh, we hear Allianz talking about how good that could be in Asia. Yeah, it's something that definitely would uh, you know be a nice liquidity plug there, and it's something that that probably acts as a you know a, a, it provides a little bit of a boost to the markets. But you know, I, I think it's something that you know for which you know although we're we're cognizant of it and we're watching it, I think you know valuations are absolutely paramount first and foremost. I think that you know investors should really focus on going where you do get um, a margin for error in your valuations. Um, you get you know you get that somewhat in in Japan, but you know relative to markets in the U.S., that's something you really especially get um, in the developing world outside the U.S., uh, as well as developed markets, where you have valuation on your side, and you have at least the potential benefit of for investors that do invest overseas, if the dollar were to weaken from its already pretty strong levels, a nice little tailwind from that as well. We popped a quick question to you earlier, um, and you were about ready to further define your investment strategy. I give you 30 seconds to sort of elevator pitch, how do I structure my portfolio here? <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I'd say that you know, given the volatility that we see going, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks, you know, look for companies that have you know visible earnings. Um, I think that the, the the technology space is really one area that tends to show earnings resilience, even uh, independent of the macroeconomic situation. And dividend payers and dividend growers are probably one of the best uh, places. They they tend not to be as volatile as the broader markets, so that's certainly a good way, a place for shelter in this type of situation. Burns, thank you. Burns McKinney, Senior Portfolio Manager at NFJ Investment Group. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.